Ciao, Bella. I am Ronnie and Ryan, love and cosmic coach, and this is the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast. We'll talk about a magical mix of mystical methods, including everything that works to live your best life, grow spiritually, and maybe find love. Open your heart, expand your mind, and connect with spirit. Tune into the magic that is all around you. If you enjoy the show, please give it a thumbs up or write a glowing review and click the bell to subscribe so you'll know when the next episode is available. I offer listeners cosmic coaching and guidance for your spiritual path, psychic, intuitive, or card readings, or learn about your past lives and how they influence your life today with an Akashic Records reading. Learn more at nevertoolate.biz. May good fortune and magic come to all those who listen to the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast. And now, on with the show. In this episode of the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast, I'm going to be speaking with Kelly Sparta, who calls herself the spirit doctor. She's a transformational shaman working with high performance people to unlock hidden aspects of their potential. She teaches motivated people to master their energy to create next level results. Kelly is also the host of the podcast Spirit Chirper, and she is a daring adventurer, a cosmic yes girl, a shaman, healer, psychic, channel, medium, and empath. Plus, Kelly is a longtime hardcore spiritual seeker. I can't wait to talk to her. Let's talk to Kelly. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much, Ronnie. <laughs> that was fun. It was a long list. I, I haven't heard that list in a while. So yeah, I'm super excited. Well, let's start with what I'm most curious about, which is a cosmic yes girl. I wrote an article once about are you a yes or a no person, but let's hear what you have to say. To me, a cosmic yes girl means that I say yes, unless there's a good reason to say no. Right. And you know, a good reason usually means I, I could be seriously injured or die. <laughs> a wise yeah, move. you know, yeah. so, uh, you know, I'm not into jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. You, you uh, say spirit looks at you and says, give away everything you own and, and go to this festival and you'll, you'll figure out what you're supposed to do from there. And I go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a lot more trusting than I am. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> That's what happened. Wow. <laughs> that was the beginning of my, well, it was, it was, it was when I first realized I was on walkabout. Yeah. Wow. And where did you do your walkabout? I did my walkabout in the U S and I did it in my car. So technically yeah. it was a drive about. A drive about. I still love it. All right, go ahead. <laughs> what was that like? And how long did it last? And where did you go? Well, it, it lasted for almost a year. I had told my roommates that I was moving out as of the end of December of 2001 and I could not find an apartment and I applied and applied and applied. And I, I even tried finding a new roommate situation and that didn't work either. And everything I tried just didn't work. And my roommate was like, yep, well, you said you were going to be out. You got to be out. I'm like, okay, so I'm homeless now. And so I was running a teaching circle at the time. And so I was in a different student's house, a different night of every week, right? So Mondays were one person's, Tuesdays were another and so on. That went on for like six months. 
then I went to this festival and just before it, I had had all my stuff in storage and I was like, well, this is ridiculous to be spending, you know, hundred bucks a month on storing stuff that I don't even know if I'm going to need because I was just getting this sense. Spirit was just saying, yeah, you're not coming back. You're not coming back. You're not going to need this. You're not coming back. And I went, okay. And so I, I had just called all my friends and said, come over and take whatever you want. But the deal is that whatever's left, you have to help me cart to a place that is a donation center, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. And so, you know, I just scheduled this and I went to one of my students' houses and I sat down and I opened the bathroom reading and it happened to be the book, Lame Deer Seeker of Visions. And I opened the book and it to a random location and it said, the apprentice shaman just before his final vision quest will give away everything he owns. And I went, (laughs) oh my God, what? (laughs) What? Yeah. That was the, you know, the moment where I was like, okay, uh, right. (laughs) And so I went to the festival and, you know, a lot of things transpired and whatever. And then I ended up following these people home who, you know, there was a lot of things that were synchronicities that brought me to them over and over and over again in the course of the time that I was at this particular festival. So we're driving home five o'clock in the morning, caravanning, and I pass the Bloomington, Indiana sign. And I go, this isn't home. Come on, walk about. (laughs) Oh, you just caught on. Yeah. It wasn't until that moment that I realized that I was on, well, I thought I was moving up until that. I was like, oh, I can't find a place here because I'm supposed to live somewhere else. My mother was military. I was used to moving a lot, you know? And so I knew when someplace wasn't going to be home because I I'd moved enough to know when a new place was home. And now I was like, oh, I'm on a walkabout, you know, which ironically I had never even heard of up until about probably eight months before I actually went on my walkabout. Wow. (laughs) Unconsciously went on my walkabout. That's intense. Yeah. (laughs) So um, being a cosmic yes girl will get (laughs) you. Oh my gosh. I've, I've often told people that if I wrote my, my memoirs, I'd have to write the second half of my life under an assumed name because nobody would believe that all the stuff that's happened to me has happened to one person. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. It's like that. <laughs> Very funny. All right. So looking back um, on that walkabout, would you be willing to share what stood out the most? Like, was there something that stood out? Yeah. So there were, there were a bunch of things. So being an empath, Uh, I did not know where I ended and other people began. I wasn't clear who I was, you know, what was my opinion? What was somebody else's opinion? You know, what I believe to be true versus other people, because I mixed energy so much with everybody else that I, I was somewhere in there, but I wasn't sure where, despite having a really strong personality. So the thing that I noticed the most when on walkabout for a whole year is that I started to recognize what the common elements were. That's where I started to recognize what was me. Ah. And so I was like, oh, this must be me. And then there were other pieces like having been military my whole life. My mother had encouraged me to just let go of the people I left behind when I let them go so that I wouldn't miss them and to just look forward. Wow. We were only ever in any place for a year or two at most anyway. So I couldn't, I couldn't form really strong relationships. That was just her, her approach to it. And somewhere in my child mind that turned into 
well, I must actually be a bad person and people will figure it out when I leave. And so they won't want to see me again. And that's why I can't go back. In my child mind, I had turned it into that, right? And so the walkabout blew that out of the water because every place I stopped, people were like, oh my God, you have to keep in touch and let us know how you're doing and how the rest of this journey goes. And we have to know how it ends, right? And so I was keeping this blog um, on live journal. That's how long ago this was. (laughs) And I had to stop at internet cafes to do my my entries. That's how long ago this was. You know, people would be checking in and, and occasionally I would run back up through a part of the country that I had been in before and people would say, come back come back. We want to have you back. And I was like, you want to see me again? Really? And they were like, yeah, of course we do. And I was like, really? I have no idea. And so that one blew that out of the water. And there, there were a bunch of things like that along the way that I learned. And, you know, I was told by two different psychic readers in the process that I would not know the full import of the journey for at least 10 years. That's a long time. It was a long time. And it has been 20 years now. It'll actually be, well, the beginning of the journey would have been 20 years ago, January 1st this year. So how about that? Yeah. And they were right. I didn't really see the full extent of what I had learned, what I had gleaned for that length of time. Interestingly, one of the things that happened is that everybody kept asking me the same questions all along the way. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, oh my God, you're, you, they would all say, oh, you're so brave. How are you not freaking out? How is this, you know, how are you staying in faith and how are you doing this? And, and they would ask other questions based on the questions that I answered on the answers that I gave. I actually started writing it down because I got tired of answering the questions over <laughs> and over again. And so you just handed uh, the sheet out. Here's my spec sheet. <laughs> 45 pages. I sat down at one of my stops and the person was a nursing student. And so she was never home and I had nothing to do. And so I sat down at her computer and in three days I banged out 45 pages of what I had been telling people. And that 45 pages turned into, I think it was 188 pages over the course of the next 20 years, as I wrote down everything that worked, right? So as I did my journey, I would just add to those 45 pages and I would write down only those things that worked. I didn't bother writing down anything that didn't work for me. I only wrote down the stuff that worked. And that actually turned into the programs that I run today. Ah. And so that journey began the work that I do today, which is really quite beautiful if you think about it. It's amazing. Now, would you be willing to share one thing that worked? Sure. Which one do you want? Well, I don't know. It sounds like there's quite a few. So there are. I mean, my my second program has 500 pieces of content. So I'm like, uh. Pick a quickie (laughs) or something, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Or just something that you wish you had known at the beginning of your journey, maybe. Oh, yes. I wish I had known. I can tell you that one right now off the top of my head. The thing that I wish I had known at the beginning of the journey was that the journey was for me. Oh. Oh, how interesting. I, I spent the entire journey saying I'm opening a pilgrim's path for other people to follow. Oh, 
I'm, I'm, I'm show, you know, I'm creating this, this thing for others. I was completely incapable of giving myself permission to do the journey just for me. Is that part of the empathing? It, it's part of the empathing. It's part of having grown up in a challenging, you know, childhood environment. You know, dad was a rageaholic, mom was an alcoholic. So, and we moved all over the place. So I was always the new kid. So you can you name it, pick your poison for that one. It's trauma brain is basically what it is. Trauma brain says, I don't get to do anything for me. I don't get to take up space in my own life. I don't get to have my own opinions. Or if I do, I have to give way to others or, or make sure that others are taken care of before my opinions matter. Or, you know, I come last on my own priority list, all of that stuff. Right. Well, so glad you're over that. Right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It only took me 20 years. (laughs) Well, listen, I worked in the corporate world for seven and then it took me 15 years to get over that. So I understand long-term healing. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that's quite a story. And that's a great lesson for anyone because you have to live for yourself and you probably have to live for yourself before you can open the path for anyone else. Right. Certainly. Absolutely. It was both hubris and a complete lack of attention to my myself at the same time, which is, which is quite the dance. I'm, I'm very skilled. Apparently you're <laughs> quite talented. You know, that's why I'm so glad we're talking. <laughs> All right. Now I want to do a total throwback. Okay. You had this list of people that you and your mom had studied with, which is the most amazing thing I've ever heard of that you did all these classes with your mother is like, Oh my gosh. But anyway, to me, it sounded like, you know, Dorothy, and the Wizard of Oz, where you go, <laughs> lions and tigers, oh my. And, and uh, what I was reading was Seth and Ramdas, JC Knight, oh my. Like, <laughs> wow. That's well, crazy. I'll add another one to you that I don't think is on that list, which is when I was six years old, my mother went and studied with Werner Erhardt and oh he and learned Est and brought oh it my home. Gosh. <laughs> And she took you along? No, no, no. You, she, they would not have allowed a child oh. to be in the classes, but she brought it all home. And, you know, she, she would always buy all of the tapes and all of the books and she brought it home and tra- taught it to me just as though I were an adult. So... Mm-hmm. Wow. So I did EST in 1984. And for people who don't know, EST is the forum today. Yes. The not kinder, gentler version of the forum. Yes. Yeah. And the funny thing is there was a movie with Burt Reynolds and Chris Christopherson and then a woman, I can't remember her name. And it was a football movie. The woman, her father owned the team. Bert and Chris were players. She was marrying Chris, but Bert really wanted her. And Chris was totally into S. And they didn't call it S, but you wouldn't, you couldn't leave the room to go to the bathroom, all that stuff. I mean, you didn't have to, if you knew anything about that whole thing, you knew what that movie was about. And it was just so funny. I think it was that just was, so funny. Wasn't that The Longest Yard? Yes, I think you're right. I yes. think that's the name of it. I just remember cracking up. And so I did it in 1984. Mm-hmm. One of my claims to fame was that I figured out how to let them, I had to get them to let me go to the bathroom. And it was actually really easy. I just said, I have to use the ladies room. They're like, you can't until you accept responsibility. And I'm like, of course I have responsibility. Get out of my way. Right. (laughs) No, it's not my fault. Of course, it's my body. My body has to go. It's like, if you want me to take responsibility, I got no problem with that. Just get out of the way. I felt very accomplished. What I really learned from that also was not to hold it all in until you blow up and not, yeah. not about using the bathroom. 
<laughs> right. But about, um, about emotional stuff, you know, and that was really vital and super essential for my survival because right after I finished that two weekend course, which was kind of hell, then I went to work at General Foods, which was seriously corporate. And so yes. it was a good thing that I went through that before. <laughs> so what an experience. Oh my gosh, your mother worked with Werner Earhart. That's unbelievable. Yes. Do you remember anything about Ramtha? And, and J.C. Knight? I remember watching J.C. Knight. I don't remember how we were watching. Must must have been VCR tapes, I guess, at the time. But huh. Or maybe it was on TV. I don't I was so young. I was so young when we did that. But oh, yeah, to this day, I'm still I'm still a fan of Ram Dass. And, Ram and, Dass. Uh, He's yeah. classic. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, when I was a little older, I did the whole messages from Michael book thing. And I mean, just a whole host of things. I just remember we had a whole series of people and I don't remember all of them because, I mean, she had something running every day, all day. Right. Wow. It was just like, that's just what we did. It was either that or we were reading and the reading material was similar. So childhood. Oh my gosh. Right. And so, you know, there wasn't a lot of TV in in the early days, you know, got a little bit more as I got into like junior high, but so, you know, it was a lot of channeled messages, Abraham Hicks and JC Knight and Bramtha and, you know, and a lot of things like, you know, how to do guided meditations and self-meditation. And, you know, we studied tarot cards and psychic skills and even know all of it. It's all in the back of my head somewhere, right? (laughs) Along with the fact that I helped her study for her nurse's exam when I was like six and seven. All of Grey's Anatomy is in my head somewhere too. And occasionally comes flying out of my mouth at random (laughs) moments when I didn't know the word three seconds before it came out of my mouth. And I go and I look it up and I'm right every time. And I'm like, that's terrifying, right? (laughs) Well, it shows you the power of repetition at a young age. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. It's all there somewhere. Wow. It's in there somewhere. So let's come to more present day. So now you're talking about transformational shamanism. Mm-hmm. And you told me that's kind of like a marriage between life coaching and shamanistic processes. So let's talk about that. Tell me a little more. Transformational shamanism is about allowing, about facilitating the process of transformation within an individual or within a group. The process is multi-layered. It's multifaceted. So we, most of Western culture deals with simply mental, emotional right? This is what happened. This is how I feel about it. But I'm also looking at here's the perspective that I hold. And here are the beliefs that I hold Mm -hmm. underneath it. And here is the assumptions that I make about life that impact those beliefs and those stories that I hold. And then here's the energetic that I'm holding. And here is the way in which the way I hold my energy is impacting the way that I feel, Mm -hmm. which is then impacting my stories, which is then impacting my beliefs and so on and so forth. Right. And so it's, it's a more holistic approach to transformational work. And so the idea being that you are put in a position where you can come back to your authentic self and get rid of all the coping mechanisms and the, you know, the limiting beliefs and all the, the cruft that gets stuffed on top of you as you as you grow up. And then from that place, then you can choose to consciously evolve yourself from one level to the next as life requires, right? We all have identity up levelings that we have to go through. You know, when we go from being single to getting married, that's an identity shift. When we go from being married to being divorced, that's an identity shift, right? 
when a parent, when one parent dies, that's an identity shift. When, a, when both parents die, that's an identity shift because you're now the beginning and, and you're the top of your lineage, right? Yeah. It's that piece that, you know, people don't think about. We, we, we have marriages and we have ceremonies for marriage. We have ceremonies for birth and death, but we don't really have ceremonies that identify the change in identity. You know, the coming of age rituals are the closest thing we have. And we only have them in small portions of Western society. Yeah. You know, the, the Jewish faith does that. The bar mitzvah. Uh, yeah, the bar mitzvah, the bat mitzvah, quinceañeras, sweet 16 parties. The bar mitzvah, the bat mitzvah is probably the best for that because it actually acknowledges the change from child to adult. Right. Yeah. As opposed to just having a sweet 16 party or having a quinceanera, there's no teaching associated with those in most cases that are, are saying, hey, you know, you are now a woman or you are now an adult, that sort of thing. So we okay. have it in stages. You can get your driver's license. That's a little bit of a being an adult. You can sure. vote. That's a little bit of being an adult. You can drink. I don't know why, but we treat that like being an adult, right? You know, all of these <laughs> things, right? Yeah. Not yeah. like anybody had ever not drunk before that, but. Uh-huh. Can you give an example of somebody you worked with at some point and how that transformation helped them or what they went from A to K or, you know, how did it, how did it go? A client example would be wonderful. In general, what usually happens is people, people start into the process and they're dealing with anxiety and fear and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments and this constant sense of feeling like the other shoe is going to drop even when they're happy and, and, you know, not being able to take credit for their successes, never asking for help, all of these angst and upsets that having arguments in their head with people that they're upset with. Oh yeah. All of this stuff, right? I'm good at that. Oh yeah. What happens is on the other side, they look at me and they're like, I can't even imagine thinking that way anymore. I just, mm. I don't see the world the same way I used to. That I, is a shift. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, <laughs> this is what I say is that it's, it's not so personal growth is, is usually skills-based learning right? So you learn how to manage your emotions once you have them and you learn how to react differently, respond differently. And the problem is that usually when you're triggered, a lot of that goes flying out the window because you're triggered, oh, of right? Course, of course. And so, you know, I do work with people on skill building, but only to a certain extent, most of what I'm doing is changing the way you see yourself and the way you see the world so that those, that initial emotional response that sends the skills out the window doesn't happen. Mm. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. And that's where transformation is. Transformation is about changing so fundamentally the way you see things that you don't get triggered by it anymore. And that's done through a variety of different things that's done through both a, a shifting of perspective in how you're perceiving what's being said and what's being done, a shift in perspective in how you see yourself and what you are allowed to do and not allowed to do and what you're capable of. And then an unwinding of the stories that you hold that keep you stuck in place, working with you to step out of victim, right? 
because when you're in victim, you're in your misery box all the time. And you're just sitting there in your misery box, just whacking on yourself and going bang, 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 whacking your head against the wall and saying, I'm comfortable in my misery box and I have a right to be here. Right. Familiar. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, stepping out of victim, stepping into your power, giving yourself permission to have your power, opening your heart chakra so you can actually feel again instead of managing your emotions with your head, being able to love yourself and know what that means. And for most of my people, I define it and they, they just sit there and look at me with their jaws open. They, they're like, I don't, I don't get it because loving yourself is not the same thing as having high self-esteem, which, which most yes. of my people think. Loving yes. yourself means I have value. I am lovable when I am doing nothing. Just being. Just being. I'm not contributing. I'm not making anybody feel better. I'm not saying anything. I'm just sitting in the corner doing nothing. And I have value and I am lovable just for being me. That one just makes most people's brain go, huh? What? (laughs) How this this does not compute? I do not understand, right? And I I understand that because I went through that too. Yeah. When I work with women doing love coaching, that's one of the first things I have them do is start to make a list of why they're lovable. If somebody writes down, I'm a great cook, and then I want to know why is that important? Ah, So so it could be because I can make somebody happy or because I can treat them well, or because I can offer good nutrition or, you know, whatever it is, like, why is that important? And it's so confronting question. That that really is. Oh, thank you. Some people cannot write anything about themselves, you know, and my heart goes out to them. So then after talking to them for a while, I said, well, let me give you a couple of starters. Right. <laughs> it's an ongoing list. I don't think the list should ever be finished because there's always more things that you're going to be exposed to, learn about, do or whatever. And Absolutely. that fills you out more as a person. And so your lovable qualities continue to grow and evolve. Totally true. And, you know, it's easier to understand why that happens when you know this particular statistic. The average American child gets 437 negative messages a day to three positive messages a day. Wow. And when you know that that's the case, it makes it easier to understand why it's hard to come up with good things to say about yourself. And on top of it, we have the culture that says, don't say nice things about yourself. That means you're, you're arrogant. (laughs) You know, I just learned this a couple of years ago. It's so obvious. And yet, never occurred to me and I don't have children, but somebody was talking about if kids are running around the pool and you want them to stop, you don't say don't run around the pool because all they get is run around the pool, which is kind of like the manifesting idea. So instead you say, please walk. Yeah. And I was like, oh, duh. But you know, we all grew up with don't run around the pool, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not everybody had a pool, but you know, as that idea. Right. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so brilliant because tell them, you know, say what you want people to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Which is what I always tell people about their online profiles. Please don't talk about what you don't want and what you don't want them to do. Like no couch potatoes, please. No, (laughs) just say what you do want. So anyway, I digress. If you want to be, don't talk about what you don't like. (laughs) Yeah. This makes you look like a complainer. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So Kelly, tell me, mention something about the stages of healing. So what is that about? Can you share those with us? Yeah, the stages of healing. And this is one of those things that I I really like to talk about a lot because 
what happens is people come in to do spiritual work or personal growth work. And the first thing they want to do is go straight for those buttons and triggers and go straight into that shadow work. And the problem with that is that it's skipping steps. And when you skip steps in spiritual work, what happens is one of two things. If you try and do your shadow work without having done the first two steps, either you will not get anywhere because your self-preservation kicks in or you will re-traumatize yourself because you are not prepared to do the work yet. Not good. So if you're lucky, you'll get nothing out of it, right? But, and and this includes things like soul retrievals and, and anything that is deep personal work. So it's super important to do the first two steps first. And the first step is you have to find emotional safety. What I mean by that is you have to find a place where you're not constantly beating yourself up, where you're not constantly in anxiety and worry and dread that somebody's upset with you and your whole world's going to fall apart or that, you know, you're just this, you can't be a ball of anxiety. You can't be a ball of fear and dread. Because if you are, then your comfort zone is so uncomfortable that there is no way you're ever leaving it because you can't handle any more discomfort. And so you literally cannot grow because you can't get past the discomfort that you're living in to begin with. Okay. And so that's the very first step. And that's fear, anxiety, worry, dread, self-doubt, inner and outer judgments, Those are the pieces that you have to address and you have to build a foundation of self-support and courage. That's the steps to get out of that particular piece. Those steps will get you to the point of emotional safety. Now, you also have to do some energetic work, especially if you're an empath. And if you had a challenged childhood, if you had any length of time in which you were traumatized for, you know, a long period, if you were bullied or if your parents were never, you know, loving or, you know, whatever then you also have an energy pattern that you have to address as an empath. And that means you have to learn how to change the way you hold your energy field. And then you have to learn how to protect your energy field and how to protect your space because energetically you will also feel unsafe. Mm. And so you have to address safety on multiple levels. Okay. Just a free, free thing for your listeners If you are an empath and you want to learn how to manage your energy field differently, there is a free download on my website at kellysparta.com. It's called Boundaries for Empaths. It's right underneath my picture on the homepage. Uh, So just click on it and you'll get the free download, okay? Um, And that gives you the first step and you need to practice that. And so that's step one is find emotional safety. Step two is solidifying your energetic container and your sense of self, your identity. It's also your, your power base. This is the container in which you hold your power. The wonderful thing about every challenge we experience in life is that it comes with a gift. And what that means is that the challenges that you experienced stretched your energetic container and they deepened it and they gave you a greater capacity to hold. But at the same time, they put tears and holes in that container as it was stretching. And so you have to heal those tears and holes so that you can hold the energy that you need to hold in order to move solidly through the world. 
you have to address things like claiming your space and setting your boundaries and owning your power and internalizing your sense of value and learning how to love yourself and draining that well of rage that exists inside of you that keeps you from letting you have your power and opening your heart. There are all these pieces that you have to address in order for you to fully stand in your own identity, in your own power, and to be able to wield your own intention in the world. And a good, good test to know whether or not you have, have a need to do that piece of the work is if you have to make a big decision in your life for your personal life, and you have to build up energy, build up energy, build up energy, build up energy, and then pull the trigger immediately on the decision or else all the energy drains back out. If that sounds familiar, then you have an energetic container and an identity that is not solid. Ah. Once it's solidified, you can make a decision and hold it for as long as you want. Okay? Got it. Got now it. That, solidi that solidified container gives you the container in which to do the shadow work that you were trying to do in the first place, I to see. dig out those buttons and those triggers and to, to get yourself to a place where all of your baggage is neatly labeled and carry on sized. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's actually very helpful and makes a lot of sense because how can you go do the scary things if you aren't set up? Yeah, yeah exactly. When, when you're already in terror on a daily basis, how do you, how do you find the, the bandwidth to do anything else? And I remember, I remember how it was. I mean, ah, my God, my brain just la 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 la. It literally changes your brain structure. Trauma changes your brain structure. Yeah. It reduces the size of your prefrontal cortex and it increases the size of your amygdala. And your brain is, is structured differently because of the trauma. And so you have to refocus the attention. You have to retrain your brain. You have to retrain your perception so that you can then restructure that brain back again. So that you stay out of fight or flight. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So you stay out of a fight, flight or freeze. Yeah. I'm, a lot of people go into freeze. So oh, freeze. I, I, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Fight. Yeah. Flight or well, freeze. when we were kids, it didn't exist. <laughs> it didn't? They added it later. <laughs> Is that why I didn't? Okay. That's why you don't remember it. It's because they, they added freeze like 15 years ago. And I was like, well, yes, because freeze is definitely there. You know? Yeah, it is there. That's absolutely true. Well, that sounds really good. That sounds amazing. So, and that's the work I do in the world. And thank you for that. <laughs> Guess what a transformational shaman was? That's what it is. All right. Now we know. And thank Full you so circle. much for sharing everything here today. I, this was a fascinating conversation for me. I learned a lot and I got to uh, enjoy some things and share some memories. So it was just wonderful talking with you, Kelly. I'm so, so glad much. that we did this. This was so much fun, Ronnie. You thank too. you for having me. Oh, totally my pleasure. So if you want to know more about Kelly, you can look for her at kellybarda.com and that will be in the show notes. So you won't have to worry about how to spell it. It'll all be there. Thank you so much for listening today. Until next time. This is Ronnie and Ryan Love and Cosmic Coach thanking you for listening today. If you'd like cosmic coaching and guidance for your spiritual path, a psychic, intuitive, or card reading, or to learn about your past lives and how they influence your life today with an Akashic Records reading, please visit nevertoolate.biz. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe and share it with someone that you love. I'll have more about love and magic next time. Until then, this is Ronnie and Ryan hoping 
you make the most of the love and magic that always surrounds you.